Hi, I'm Shelly. And I'm Cam. And this is Translating ADHD. Last time we began to talk more about what it means to become a student of your own ADHD, and we introduced one model that we use with our clients. Today, we're going to talk about some other concepts that are really important and recurring themes in both our work on our own ADHD and our work with our clients. Cam, you want to say more about that? Sure, Shelley. I think back in episode four, we were talking about readiness for change. And under readiness for change was of like developing more awareness and this keen observer concept, the idea of becoming a student of your own ADHD. And we're going to dig in there, right, of how else can you become a student of your own ADHD? I work, as, as you do, I work with uh, entrepreneurs. And I think that um, this concept is going to be something of interest to them. And so it really, it's around uh, impact and having an impact. And so it goes something like this. To have ADHD is to have an impact, right? That vanilla does not describe us. Would you agree? I would agree. Yes. Yeah. That whole, that whole, why am I different? <laughs> and I know I'm different, right? Or, or I, I've got to be different. Yeah, that too. That right. too. Uh, the way that we perceive the world, uh, our take on the world is going to be different uh, because of our unique brain wiring. And so, you know, if you're not vanilla, you're going to have an impact. And that, that impact is going to be both positive and negative, right? That's what impact is. Impact is either a positive, right? It's, an, it's additive or it's a subtraction. And so here's the, the catch with ADD or ADHD is, uh, well, we're not aware of all of our impact. I'm just going to let that sink in for a moment for our listeners, is that to have ADHD is to have an impact. That impact is going to be positive and negative, and we are not aware of all the impact that we're having, especially when you have ADHD. Again, humans are not aware of all their impact. Uh, Just look at our politics right now. But when you have ADHD, it uh, ratchets that up a bit, that disconnect between uh, cause and effect, right? The ability to put something out there and then see the effect of that. There's a disconnect there. And we'll talk a little bit about how ADHD comes into play there. And then, of course, what can we do about it? Yeah, I think this is such a powerful concept because. I don't know about you, Cam, but I feel like a lot of the work that I do with my clients is around this exact thing, around learning what the impact is, where it is, what's happening when it happens, right? And also about recognizing the positive impacts, right? What are we doing right? What are we doing at all? Um, I don't know about you, but the low points of my career are usually marked by feeling like I have no impact, positive, negative, or otherwise. I feel like I'm a neutral in the universe, right? Just bumbling along and things sort of happen to me and I have no control and I also have no ability to impact my own success. And we both know that's not actually true, but it's certainly a headspace that I find myself getting into and I find my clients getting into. I think that, um, you know, you go back to 
one of those those basic needs and um, Maslow's work in the late '60s uh, around the hierarchy of needs, right? And the top one is self-actualization, right? Which is in a sense of like a desire to have an impact. I think it's a it's a basic human uh, need uh, or desire. Right? We want to have an impact, and I think you just said it's one of the challenges of having ADHD is feeling like that we don't have an impact that we're, or we, you know, potential is the big word. I, from the outside, it kind of looks like I'm doing okay, but on the inside, I feel like I haven't reached that level of uh, success or impact that I want to have. Yeah. I have a client right now who's in that exact place. It's really interesting because he acknowledges that despite his young age, he is incredible at what he does. Absolutely incredible. And he's in a very niche field. So cognitively, he knows there is and there is proof, right? This is this is the type of field where one can prove their worth. It's not a subjective field. But he still struggles to translate that into how do I ask for my value in my business? And how do I even more importantly feel that value. Because if I don't feel that value and I'm asking for that value, it's going to come across as a person who doesn't feel that I'm worth what I'm asking for, even though I cognitively know that I am, right? We're right in the middle of this right now. This is kind of our starting place in coaching. So I don't have a, and what happened next on this story yet, but you know, this is not an uncommon coaching problem for people to come to us with some amount of success and say, I don't know where to go next. And I have all this doubt and Maybe I'm seeing my negative impacts without seeing my positive impacts, or maybe I'm not seeing either. Right. We're not going to take risk or put ourselves out there if we, if we don't see some incentive to do so. And so incentive, motivation, these are all elements that are about taking action, putting oneself out there being vulnerable and eventually you know having some impact with that and so these are discussions that we have with our clients around and I love what you just said there that articulation of his dilemma right it's sort of a it it creates a, almost like a catch 22 vicious cycle that is difficult to get out of and that's what ADD will do is will put us into these little vortices of self doubt of cycles that are difficult to break and move forward. But when you learn about your ADD and how it shows up, right? How it it influences certain aspects of your day, of your thinking, of how you approach a task, then you can step back and make uh, alternative plans. Right? I think that's the mistake that a lot of people make is they will sit down and try blunt force right? Of just like, I'm just going to sit here until I'm have inspiration. And then they're there often sitting and then get distracted by something, or they start to do some kind of avoidant behavior, right? To avoid the actual getting into the task. There's two areas that, that I'd like to illustrate today, Shelly, around how ADD can show up. And again, under this realm of uh, having an impact, right? So if we can start to develop awareness of this cause and effect and kind of the impact that we're having, both positive and negative, right? We're not, we're not trying to freak people out here, 
it's okay, right? And as you said, Shelly, often what we'll do is we'll dismiss the positive impacts we have and elevate uh, what we think we should be doing or we haven't done. And so, again, it's, it's a matter of perspective. It's a matter of perception of the sampling that we do. And we often will kind of really have very damning thoughts. This is around limited beliefs. So there's two areas that I want to focus on, beliefs and behavior, and then basically task initiation and completion. Those are two areas where ADD shows up. And specifically with beliefs and behavior, ADHD is like, it's like the MSG, right? It's the kind of the flavor enhancer. It comes in and it enhances or distorts our thinking. So, so an example would be, I have plenty of time, right? How many of you out there find yourself saying that, right? Oh, I have plenty of time. I can get to that tomorrow. I can get to that later, right? Just 10 more minutes on this Netflix, you know, or this YouTube channel. I can do that in 10 minutes. That delay, delay, delay. So the delay is the actual behavior. But the thinking that reinforces that is we're thinking we have more time than we actually do. That delay is, is a viable option. So you can see how ADD comes into play with respect to time estimation. And what we're actually doing there is we're forcing the issue. We're trying to force the issue to create one choice. We struggle with decision-making. We struggle with choosing one thing and going forth with that one thing. So what we'll do is we'll wait. We'll wait till it becomes urgent or the priority becomes real. So our thinking then reinforces our behavior and likewise, right? Uh, the other way, our behavior will reinforce our thinking or our beliefs. Yeah, I'd actually like to present an alternate scenario with a very similar outcome just to show how various uh, limiting beliefs can result in the same negative effects. Um, so the opposite side of this that I see in my clients and in myself is the belief that time is the enemy. Mm. I have no time or I know that I don't experience time in the same way as other people. And that has come back to bite me so many times that now I am just in constant fear of what task is going to crop up that I missed or what deadline is going to come around the corner and surprise me. I have a client like this right now, right? Just living in constant fear of what's next, what's next, what's next. I, I don't feel like I know what's coming. So I don't feel like I can make decisions about what I can do at all. It's paralyzing to the same outcome, right? Eventually something comes up that has to be done and that is what takes precedence. And that is what takes attention. And that is what hopefully gets done. So different limiting beliefs, same effect. Right. Again, how the ADD comes into play here, right? So back to our model of in order to translate, we've got to own it and accept it. In order to own it, we have to understand. And so understanding goes a long way, right? And is a first step. So that situation right there, I was just talking with a colleague who I'm presenting at Chad. And of course, this podcast will be after 
Chad in November. We're taping this in early October right now. But we're talking a lot about the brain chemistry and the, the neurology of what's happening when you have that thought of what's next, right? When's the other shoe going to drop or this sort of anticipating the next crisis, right? So think about, think about the posture of the individual for that, right? They're kind of like a cat, you know, backed into a corner. Talk about caged animal. You're in this very reactive state and you're just waiting, right? Waiting for something to happen. Well, guess what? That is a not so effective coping mechanism for getting things done. Because we talked about limiting beliefs and behavior, the other part of that is task initiation and completion. The challenges we have around planning, organizing, prioritizing task into activating for task and then picking that task back up again, all the way to completion, to finishing. We have breakdown points because all of that lives in the prefrontal cortex and all of those are basically executive function areas. So what do we do if we don't have access to our executive functions is we go back and find a system that does work. The system that works here is the limbic, right? We basically take up residence in our limbic system. And that's that kind of a on guard, ready for the next thing to, to fall out of the sky. We tend to be pretty good responders. We tend to be pretty good reactors, but over a period of time, it comes at a cost. And this circles back to the impact. We are so focused on that crisis that we're not recognizing the impact on us right? And our psyche and our spirit, right? We just get back up again, brush off the ashes, you know, and rise again. <laughs> but in episode three, we talked about that arc, right? Episode three, we talked about the adrenaline response cycle. We go there and get adrenaline in the limbic, right? In that fight flight center, tap into that adrenaline, which makes dopamine available. And then we can take action. But if you were able to step back, use that keen observer and notice that behavior, that's the first step is understanding what you're doing. And by all means, don't run away from this because running away is actually just more limbic work. You're just keeping that signal in the limbic system and breathe, relax that posture again. Notice that posture. Notice that tenseness in that kind of waiting for the next thing to fall and take a look around. Because what happens is when we live in the limbic, we're not living anywhere else in our brain. The limbic is, a, is pretty, it, it kind of hoards the signal, holds on to it, and doesn't really let other parts of the brain, which is like curiosity, creativity, laughter, humor, problem solving, metaphor, language, all those elements are outside of that deep, deep limbic center where we're just like feral. <laughs> Can I share a relevant anecdote from my own life here around that? Sure. Yeah. So a couple of years ago, my grandmother passed. And because our family is far flung, it was a couple of weeks from the time that she passed to the time that we had the services. 
And in that two weeks, I became almost manic. I organized my entire house. I would wake up at 7 a.m. And Cam, am I a person that wakes up bright-eyed and bushy-tailed at 7 (laughs) a.m.? No. (laughs) (laughs) I would wake up at 7 a.m. almost itching for my feet to hit the floor. And I would go until 2 or 3 o'clock in the morning. Cam, I'm not even kidding. I must have taken 20 SUV-sized car loads from my house to Goodwill. And at the time, I was like, man, I really caught a bug and this is going to be great. My house is going to be so organized. I don't know what this energy is, but I'm totally going to harness it. Well, we get to Michigan where the funeral is and I just crash. I completely crash. I have no energy at all whatsoever. And I realized that all of that was avoiding avoiding dealing with the death of my grandmother, avoiding dealing with how I felt, avoiding dealing with the upcoming trip and the logistics and the situation. I was just flatly avoiding. And so the impact. Can I jump in before impact? Sure. What was the thinking that reinforced that behavior? If you don't mind me asking. Sure. Um, Then Then we'll do impact. So as you know, and as our listeners may know by now, my background is as a professional organizer. So my thinking at the time was, this is something I've wanted to get to. And here I'm harnessing this energy and I don't know where it's coming from, but it's here. So I should just grab onto it and ride ride the wave, right? As as long as I have it, I should just ride the wave. Right, which is another uh, ADD-infused belief, right, of use it or lose it. Right? Exactly. It's like, well, it's here, better use it and put it to good use. Yeah. Exactly. I have this incredible energy. I, it's like I, I can't stop even if I wanted to. So I'm going to use it. And then coming back, right? The impact. Well, I certainly hadn't done anything with my business in two weeks. I hadn't paid the bills. I hadn't done anything really outside of organizing my house. Well, and you also couldn't be fully present in Michigan. Yeah. Yeah, I was exhausted. I was physically and emotionally exhausted. And I was injured because at three o'clock in the morning, I was up on a step stool organizing a very high shelf on a very high closet. And I got vertigo and fell off the step stool. Mm. Had a bruise on my back the size of, I don't know, pancake. So taking that, I think this is a great example of you're not avoiding it now, right? And this is what we do in coaching is we look back on these experiences and bring the keen observer and dig into the learning, create new awareness to apply forward, right? So what's the, what was, what was your big takeaway there on that experience, Shelley? I am much more aware now when that type of energy takes hold. I no longer see it as a superpower and not that it can't be. Right. It sometimes can be. But there's, a, there's an added step. Instead of feeling that energy and just running with it, there is an added step of evaluating. What is it that I'm wanting to focus on is this the priority right now? Is this where my time and attention needs to be? And what else is going on, right? Is this energy coming from a healthy place or a place of avoidance? 
or a place of anxiety, where's it coming from, right? And sometimes the answer is it is coming from a healthy place and I can harness it and run with it and it's great. And in those, in those instances, it can be a superpower. But in the cases where it's coming from avoidance or anxiety, I'm much better served by addressing those things than by grabbing on to this energy that's just going to wipe me out and put me on the arc hamster wheel. Right. And, and in this case, avoiding complex emotional stuff, right? F- complex feelings, uh, grief. Yeah. Yeah. That was the other impact too, is I was just all of the emotion came out all at one time because I didn't allow myself to deal with it at all in advance. Well, I appreciate that story. And it's really relevant for, again, this, how, as we, we get into the moment, we can lose sight of the bigger picture, the bigger opportunity, right? Of like, processing those emotions yeah um and and also lose and lose touch of the bigger impact yeah i would say it took me two to three times as long to get back on good footing with my business routines and the daily routines of running my household as i took away from those things to organize my house pretty big impact yeah so how do you want to wind things up today? It's a good question. I don't know. What are you curious about based on this conversation? I think that I think that's a good place to to go with with curiosity. I think that curiosity again, it's curios- curiosity lives outside of the limbic system. So entrepreneurs, you know, people and entrepreneurs all are driven by incentive and looking for incentive to leave the limbic. Right, to step out. And so observation and orienting yourself to your current dilemma, right? What is going on? Making a distinction between like, am I in danger? Like, because we're focused on say the crisis, the example of your client, there's the next crisis and they're oriented to that danger. That's all they're focused on. And is that the danger? Or is there a bigger danger? Is there a bigger opportunity to step back and get the bigger picture? Um, The bigger danger there was that she's putting herself or he's putting himself in this cycle of work that is untenable, right? That's going to, um, has a physiological cost, right? Absolutely. Of, we haven't even talked about the role of stress, right? And how, how this, how stress can create tremendous impact for us emotionally and physically. To the point that every one of my non ADHD clients that has come to me for coaching has been someone under extreme amounts of stress to the point that having previously been able to self-organize and do some of the things that are challenges for those of us with ADHD are finding themselves unable to do those things now because of the impact that stress has on their executive function. Right. It's a, it's a, there's a bigger vicious cycle there and you're, you're not going to get access to your prefrontal cortex. You're not going to get access to uh, the creative and, and curious areas of the brain through sheer force and through stress. 
um, and through stressful activity. Again, in that responding, reacting, it helps. We're not we're not suggesting you divorce yourself from that type of work because for some of you, it's what you got, right? Is to to move yourself to one choice. But coming back to uh, what are my options? What are my resources? And again, seeing the links between your thinking and your behaviors. And then where are the challenges that you have specifically? Often they're around activation. They're around generating accurate awareness. And finally, it's about getting to meaningful completion, right? It's the finishing. It's the follow through. And so becoming a student there in how specifically your ADD shows up. Yeah. And I think it's important to say as we close out for today that becoming a student of your ADHD is not something that you get your degree and you're done. Right. Well said. Yeah. We're not here to cure ADHD. Cam and I, as you've heard in previous episodes, both still struggle with our own ADHD, despite being in the business of helping people live better and achieve more success with ADHD, right? It's always going to be there. And even if you know yourself and you know your ADHD, the way that I know that nervous energy and how bad that can be for me, it doesn't mean that I don't still struggle with that. And that nervous energy doesn't still come in. And sometimes that nervous energy comes in and it wins. And all I can do is look at the aftermath and look at the impacts and try and learn from it on the other side so that next time I'm more informed and I perhaps can make a better choice on the front end rather than dealing with the aftermath on the back end. So all of these things that we discuss Um, things like limiting beliefs and activation and time management and awareness, all these words that we're throwing around, we're going to keep coming back to this stuff over and over again. Right. And I want to, I just want to underline what you just said that I think is a, a false belief. And the false belief is I have to solve this ADD thing first and get it out of the way. Then I can be successful. And I think that that's a, that's a myth you're always going to be solving this ADHD thing and you can be successful and still be working to understand it, own it and translate it. And also harness the positive impacts in a more meaningful way. Yeah. Let's not forget about those. Yeah. And maybe that's, we'll put that as a topic, right? Positive impact for sure. Absolutely. Because I think, you know, there's such an argument in the ADHD community about whether it's a curse or a blessing. And I think you and I both come from the school of thought that it, it's both. It's both. Right. There are definite upsides. Um, there are definite downsides. Right. So learning to live better with ADHD, learning to be successful with ADHD means managing the downsides and harnessing the upsides. There you go. All right. Well, until next time, I'm Shelly. And I'm Cam. And this was Translating ADHD. Thanks so much for listening.